Um, we started chapter 8 with the woman caught in adultery and Jesus writing on the ground and their accusations toward Jesus that he was just simply a witness on his own. And uh, verse 18 of, of John 8, he says, I'm the one who bears witness of myself and the Father who sent me also bears witness of me. Um, and so he, we ended in verse 30 as he was kind of going back and forth with the uh, Pharisees. Uh, verse 30 says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. So we ended last week with the idea that even though he's having this kind of debate back and forth, those listening to this debate, uh, many of them believed in what he was saying. And that's really where he was directing his attention to, even though he was addressing the Pharisees and answering their questions. Which brings us to verse 31. Jesus said to them, I'm sorry, Jesus said to those Jews who believed. So now he turns his attention to the believing Jews. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, so let's stop here for just a second. Because we've been talking about this a lot back and forth. It's been very interesting as we are going through 1 John and Sunday morning and the book of John on Sunday nights because it's the same author, very, very similar uh, kind of direction that these books are going. And we talked last week on Sunday morning about the proof of God's spirit within you is a knowledge of the word, the anointing of, of that you know all truth that no one needs to teach you. And he repeats that here. If you really abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Uh, a Christian should not have a, a uh, repulsiveness towards the Bible. In other words, it, it shouldn't be, not repul and that's uh, repulsiveness is too harsh a word, but you should be drawn to the word and not repel away from it. And the thought of, of reading the Bible brings you comfort and encouragement. Because if you have this God who you trust that has saved you, remember the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is a living book. And so I find myself drawn to it, especially early in my uh, Christian walk when I started to really understand what the Bible was that it was actually his words written to me it, I, could, I couldn't stop going to it and trying to figure out what else was in it and learning more and uh, did what you guys do which is go to every service I could go to just to hear more and learn more and then I signed up for some classes at a Bible college because I wanted to learn more and that eventually led to where I am today, but it's just the idea that my my journey wasn't to get into ministry. It was just this: I couldn't get enough. The word was so every time I read it, something new, something different, something grand. Um, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, so, 
That's a phrase used in many contexts throughout history. Secular world uses this. The truth will set you free, and they use it in a weird way. uh, But but the truth is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So what are you set free from? You are set free from the bondage of sin. The Bible says sin will no more have dominion over you, and that you reckon yourself to be dead to your sins. It doesn't mean we're sinless, but sin no longer reigns over this mortal body. We're also free from the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we were slaves to sin and, and under bondage and under the, the penalty of the guilt of sin, but now we've been set free, and it's the truth. So what is the truth? Well, it's his word. So what is the truth? The truth is that we are all sinners. And the truth is that the wages of sin is death. The truth is that Jesus demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is risen from the dead, you will be saved. It's the little Romans road, Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.3, Romans 10.9. You put them all together and you have the gospel, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So that's the truth. And any other teaching... Any other doctrine, any other way to heaven is false. It's false. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And the truth sets us free. And remember the Bible says in Romans 1 that they exchange the truth of God for the lie. The lie is there is no God. A fool says in his heart what? There is no God. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the truth sets you free. Uh, Verse 33. They answered and said, We are Abraham's descendants and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? It's an interesting rebuttal by by the Jews. Um, Because the Jews have been in bondage many times and yet they're looking at it in a secular religious kind of a way of you know we're the nation of Israel we're God's chosen we're Abraham's seed we're 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 the ones on the top of the religious food chain so to speak and the Messiah is coming and we're going to rule and reign we're not a, what do you mean we'll be set free Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And this is what Dolores mentioned. Isn't it? This is why the Bible is so uh, precious. That one little statement, the Bible teaches that we are slaves to sin. So how many human beings on this earth, what percentage have habits that they would love to conquer? 
Is it 100%? And it's interesting that there are all kinds of... Everybody has something in their life that they know is wrong or damaging, and they struggle getting rid of it. Slaves to sin. We have trouble... You know, we have the kids at school who I just adore. I just love them. I love them so much. You don't have to teach them to be mean to each other, but you have to train them to be polite. It's natural to be grumpy and, and make fun of somebody and tease somebody and, and, and push somebody back when they push you. And, and, but, boy, you have to train them to say things like thank you and please. That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting when the Bible accurately always pro, uh, portrays the human nature. It just knows us so well. And it's the only book that does it. We have psychology books written by thousands of psychologists that think they know the realm of human nature. We have philosophers throughout history that try to determine human nature. Human nature is all wrapped up in this one verse. We're a slave of sin. And we are wretched. And in our flesh dwells no good thing. And we are not to be trusted. And we are trying to... This, this whole political landscape that we're in is nothing that we shouldn't expect in a country that decided they didn't need God and they separated church and state and so the state is godless so the state is falling apart and and running crazily because without God we are slaves to our sin and so verse so he, Jesus takes this idea of slavery that they respond and say well we're descendants of uh, we have a nationality of freedom what are you talking about he says no I'm talking about sin that's where you're enslaved verse 35 and a slave does not abide in the house forever but a son abides forever so you are a slave to sin but the truth sets you free and gives you the power to be called the, what? Sons of God, the children of God, adopted into the family where you can cry, Abba, Father, and I'm no longer a slave. A slave doesn't dwell forever. When a slave is done, they are sold off or kicked out or whatever that process is, but one who is the family member stays and dwells in that house. And you, according to Psalms, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because you're a child of God, no longer slaves of sin. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. No one will pluck you out of His hand. So Jesus, once again, turns this idea that they're thinking secularly and he turns it into a spiritual conversation and turns it into himself as the one who sets them free. Verse 37, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So he says, I know that you are 
nationally Hebrews. You are Abraham's blood relatives, but you are not his spiritual relatives. You have not been engrafted into the promises of God because you seek to kill me. Therefore, you're not. He says, I, I, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. It's a very interesting statement, he says. Jesus proclaims to them that they are serving two different fathers. And we'll get to the details on that in a second. But Jesus immediately separates them. Now, this goes all the way back, by the way, to Genesis 3.15, in which God says to Satan himself, I will put enmity between her seed and your seed. So he did, we've talked about this before, that there are two seeds. There is the seed of God, of those who trust in him, and the seed of Satan. If you're not for me, you are against me. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. There's only two signs to this whole thing. And it's not divided by religion. It's not divided by race. It's not divided by political party. It's not divided by economic status. It is divided simply by who you say Jesus Christ is. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. If you were really part of Abraham, and this can be said of Christians also. There are many who claim a relationship with God and yet what is being said and their actions say otherwise. And God says, you know, many will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. And they're looking at Abraham and they believe that they are God's chosen because they are of the seed of Abraham. But Jesus Christ says that's changing. It's no longer the nationality it is the relationship with Christ and there are many people who are in church today that have not given their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and they are wolves in sheep clothing and God gives many verses to watch out for them that they will creep in unawares into your congregations and, and the Bible says they will lead away gullible people um, from the truth and these were men who were only religious outwardly the Bible remember Jesus will eventually call them whitewashed walls and, and empty tombs or, or sepulchers in which there's nothing but dead bones on the inside and a whitewashed wall is, is nothing on the inside but they paint it on the outside to look beautiful and that's what they are verse 41 you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now there's, there's some um, theologians, and they may be right, that that statement, we're not born of fornication, is kind of making reference to, because if Jesus isn't God, and Jesus isn't the Son of God, then 
the story of his birth is a sinful story. If he was not born of a virgin, then he was born out of wedlock. Or she became pregnant before they were married. And so they are using that in many cases. And I don't know for sure that that's the case, but it it sounds like it might be. But what they're saying is that they are not... We're Abraham's... You can't tell us we're not from Abraham. We're not born out of fornication. We are Abraham's seed. And we have one father, God. God, there's the... Oscars are tonight. And there's going to be a lot of people who have done very ungodly movies who are going to thank God for the rewards. And God is... It's a different God. It's... it's in. They have God in their mind. We are God's children, they say. And then Jesus responds with, If God were your father, you would love me. Remember, the measurement of one who is not following the teachings of the Antichrist, we saw this in 1 John, is who they say Christ is. Let's look really quick at 1 John 2, verse 2, uh, just to, uh, 1 John 2, 22. First John 2, 22 says, well, let's start in verse 21. I have written to you because you do not know the truth. But because, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and no lie is of the truth. So this is John, same John speaking now to those who know the truth. Do you see that? And he says in verse 22, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. If you deny the Son, you do not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So back in John chapter 8, they acknowledge the Father. They acknowledge the Old Testament. They acknowledge Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. But they reject the Son, which means they cannot have the Father. It doesn't work. And there are many religions and denominations Across the world that have a, uh, how does Romans paint it? You have a semblance of God, but deny its truth. It, it looks like God, but it's who they say Jesus Christ is. And when you're looking at the Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and all of the others, you just simply have to research who they say Jesus Christ is. And if it's not the Messiah, the Christ, the only way to heaven then it is, um, it's not accurate. And so he says to them, you are not, uh, they have a father. And he says, verse 42 of John 8, if, if God were really your father, you'd love me. That's a sign. If you're truly, truly born again, there is a love for Christ. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen word they just won't listen 
They're not the sheep he's going to talk about in John chapter 10. They're, God has it open their ears and eyes, and they are not going to buy it. You, verse 44, he just takes down all of the symbolism and says, You are of your father, the devil. Those are the two sides. The seed of Satan, the seed of God. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is the father of all lies. He can't tell the truth. Jesus, it says, God says, with God, it is impossible for God to lie. Satan is the very opposite. It's impossible for him to tell the truth. He walks about like this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when, when the Bible says, if you're not for me, you're against me, there is no middle ground. I know people all across the world believe that if they can just say neutral in, in religion. I'm just, I, don't, I don't believe in God either way. I don't know if there is or isn't. I, I'm not a religious person. Well, you are a religious person. Your religion is, is atheism or your religion is agnosticism. But if you're not of God and not of Christ, you are of your father, the devil. doesn't mean you're going out and worshiping the devil or playing satanic music. But if you are not of Christ, then you are against him. You're either for me or against me. And if I say to you, you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you say, well, I'm a good person, but I'm just not, I'm, I'm just not a religious person. Um, well, you have chosen the side and chosen the wrong side. And Satan comes as an angel of light, and he can deceive you with neutrality. He can deceive you with false religions. He can deceive you with sin and, and revelry, but he doesn't care. As long as he deceives you, that's all he cares about. And turn you away from Christ. He's talking here to Pharisees who have dedicated their lives to religious service. And it's not good enough. It's not good enough. I remember years ago, um, Mother Teresa passed away. And Pastor Joe was speaking. And he said, um, someone, he just mentioned the fact in talking about this. He said, not even Mother Teresa can go to heaven without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some people were really mad at him because they thought he was saying Mother Teresa didn't go to heaven. The truth is, we don't know. I never met Mother Teresa. Um, but imagine she had a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you need to have that. And, and the Remember the verse today in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give my body to be burned and have not love, profits me what? Nothing. We already said love is God. You can you can put if I give my body to be burned and have not Christ, it profits me nothing. Verse forty five. <clears throat> but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And that's how it works in the world. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says in Romans one that people will suppress the truth, even though they know God. They did not glorify and ask God, neither were they thankful, and they would suppress the truth. Suppress means to hold back. So if you want to find the truth, you find out what's being suppressed. What, 
what belief system is the most suppressed of all the belief systems around the world? And it's by far Christianity. You know? And so um, people don't want the truth because they prefer darkness rather than light. John chapter 3. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, do you do not hear because you're not of God. And that's the bottom line. We are to preach the truth in love. But it's important that we preach the truth. The truth will not be accepted. A version of the truth that doesn't offend or doesn't hurt will not offend people. But it also won't accomplish the goal. Because you have to preach the truth strong enough in order to separate the tares from the wheat. So turn, if you will, I'll give you an example of this in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, um, the Apostle Paul ends up in Athens, Greece. Now, Athens is extremely open-minded. They have mythological gods. They have arts. It's, it's very, very similar, I think, to um, bigger cities in America. Uh, and it's very, very similar to our universities. Um, so let's start in verse um, 19. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. Uh, I think that is the foundation of, of enlightenment in our country. Everybody wants to say, there's something new all the time. We call them trending things. New religions, new beliefs, new diets. And the center of these usually end up in our university campuses in which we get together and philosophize about life and what is right and what is wrong, what is moral, what is not moral. And so that's what they're doing here. In Greece, you would come and you would have this new thinking that they want to hear about so they invited him to the Areopagus so that he could share this new belief. So verse 22, Paul stood in the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. So how does he start out? Very cordial. They are very religious. They're not Christian, but they're religious. He says, For I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And Paul was walking through. We learned earlier in the book of Acts that he was really taken back by all of their idol worship. They had monuments to all kinds of gods. The God of the sea, the God of the stars, the God of everything. And he notices they had one uh, mantle or, or altar to the unknown God. 
Well, what was that all about? Well, there might be gods they've never heard of. And so the Apostle Paul is wise as a serpent here. He's wise in, in, in God's wisdom. And he says to them, Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, I proclaim him to you. So you want to know who I represent? I represent the God you know nothing about. And he says, Therefore, verse 24, This is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives life and breath and all things. He's made from one blood every nation of men who dwell on the face of the earth. He's determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Oh, this God is incredible. He's made everything, created everything. He doesn't need to be made with hands or he doesn't dwell in a temple because that's what they do with their gods, don't they? They create them out of wood or stone. And he says he made every nation, every blood he created. And he wants them to seek him and grope for him. Verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So then he takes the poetry of Athens, the poetry of Greek philosophers or Greek poets who write about the stars in the heaven that shine brightly. He says, yeah, that God who made the stars. Your poets even know about him. Therefore, verse 29, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art. And man's devising, truly, these time of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands men everywhere to repent. He says, you didn't know any better. God overlooked this, that you thought that God could be made with hands and created by art. No, that's not the God I represent. The God I represent creates all things. He doesn't need to be created. But God has overlooked, in verse 30, he overlooked it until now. So, Paul starts with the encouragement. You're so religious. That's to be commended. And your object of your affection are beautiful, but it's wrong. The God I, I come to tell you about doesn't need to be created. He creates. And he says, verse 31, Because he has appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He says, this is my God died for your sins and he rose again the third day. The gospel. Look at verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear you again in this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. So Paul got three separate responses, didn't he? Some mocked. Some said, oh, I want to hear more about this God of yours. And some believed and followed. So when Paul was able to speak, he literally preached the truth in love. God has overlooked to this point how you got everything wrong. You're wrong. These gods are wrong. You're very religious. I commend you for that. But God has overlooked, and he won't overlook it anymore. It's time for you to repent. 
and he proved himself to be God by rising from the dead the third day. Many said, oh, that's a bunch of hooey. I don't believe you. So in Paul's kindness as he preached, he did not compromise the truth. It would have been easy to do so, wouldn't it? My God is just one of many gods. And I appreciate all the gods you have. And if you'd like to know something about my God, but you don't have to leave your gods. Yes, they do. And he told them that they needed to repent. He used that word. And that's a, a, a rarely used word many times in the Christian realm today of repenting. We turn it, God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to change. You do have to change. You have to turn from your sins and turn towards your Savior. And sometimes we miss that part. We can do it in love, as Paul did. Uh, let's go back and finish up in John chapter 8. There's a very humorous thing to me that is about to happen. Um, so verse 48, The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? So now they are angry. And they accuse him of being a Samaritan they call him, say he has a demon. And Jesus says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So is all that true? Obviously it is. And so Jesus is being very honest truthful, bold, everything you would expect Jesus to be. But we need to be the same way. He's telling them the truth. They are accusing him of being a liar and a blasphemer and possessed. And there are all kinds of things that we will be called as we share the truth. So the Jews said to him, Ha! Verse 52, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, the prophets are dead, and you say if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. We caught you. Finally, we knew if you talked enough, we'd catch you in a lie. You said, if you keep my word, you'll never see death. All of the patriarchs have died. You're a liar. Jesus answered. Um... Now let's look at verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? Jesus said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me out of whom you say that he's your God. This is, here's how mixed up you guys are. You are, are calling me a demon and I'm telling you everything my father told me to tell you and that's who you say you honor yet you have not known him but I know him and if I say I do not know him I will be a liar like you that's such a key verse right there if you tell somebody that Jesus is the only way to heaven in that if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will spend eternity in hell. You will be called a fool, possibly, a liar, or all kinds of things. 
What's interesting is if you change the story so you don't offend people and you say something like, well, I believe in Jesus, but whatever you believe, it's okay. As long as that's what you believe, God will honor that. You have now become what they accused you of being before. Now you're a liar. Because if you preach any other gospel than Jesus Christ alone, that's not the truth. You see what I'm saying? So when you tell the truth, you might be called a liar or a fool. But if you compromise the truth in order to not be called those things, you actually become what you've been called. Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so what we do is we begin to compromise. And Jesus says that same thing. Look what he says. Uh, Verse 55. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you. You want me to say I don't know the Father? Well, then I become the liar you accuse me to be. But I do know him and keep his word. Verse 56 is the verse that always makes me giggle. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So they have just accused him of being a liar because he said, if you believe in me, my word, you will not see death. And they said, what? We got you. Abraham's dead. Do you think you're greater than Abraham? And he says, well... I just talked to Abraham. It says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Well, what's his day? When Jesus says rejoice to see my day, what is it? It's his day on earth. It's when he came to die for the sins of mankind. It's his miraculous virgin birth. The day of the Lord is upon us. And they say... Um, The Jews said, you're not yet even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? What are you talking about? And this whole conversation makes me giggle inside. This makes me happy for some reason. How they, they, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you'll not taste death. And they got him. We got you. Because Abraham is dead. And you are greater than Abraham? Is that what you think? Because he's dead? And now we know you have a demon because you say you won't taste death and Abraham's dead. And he says, see, you call me a liar, but if I tell you that I don't talk to my father, then I would be a liar. Besides, I talked to Abraham and he was really excited about this day. He was really happy that I was coming down here. And they said, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old. What do you mean you talked to Abraham? Well, where did he talk to Abraham at? In glory, wherever they were, that's where Abraham's at. And they had a conversation. It's time to go. Son, go. Go to the earth. And Abraham rejoiced. Oh, redemption is coming. The Savior is coming. And I was just talking to him just a few years ago. Him and I had it. He was really happy about me coming down here. And I said, you're nuts. I remember there's one thing that almost... I, I had just um, come out of a week of uh, Scientology training. And the week of Scientology training convinced me of one thing, that Scientology was crazy and it just wasn't right. And so I, 
I it took me a week to figure it out, but and and took them a year to leave me alone. But in that year, when I became a Christian, it, it I always had the two compared. One was was just crazy things, and, and and I just knew Christ was the truth. I just knew it. And to some people, Christianity sounded crazier than Scientology, but it wasn't. It was just everything was perfectly fit. And then somebody shared with me the story of the rapture, that we'll be caught up together and meet him in the air. And, and all of a sudden, I it really, I hesitated. I said, whoa, this sounds Scientology-like. And Scientology has teachings about leaving your body and going to your past lives. And I said, well, I'm leaving my end. But I just knew that Christ was the truth. But Satan really used that, the rapture, to twist me a little bit until I got my feet back on solid ground. And so uh, many times what we talk about to people, to, to them, what are you talking about that he rose from the dead? They mocked him. What do you mean you talked to Abraham? But it's the truth. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Remember what God's name was when Moses asked him? The I am. And that, that phrase, I am, is that he's always been. And they say, well, you're not even 50 years old. He says, I'm older than 50. You want how old I am? I am. I've always been. There is no age. Then they took up stones to throw at him. Because, why did they take up stones? Because Jesus finally did something they were waiting for him to do. What did he do? He boldly proclaimed himself to be God. Because when he says, I am, that is God's name. And they said, now we've got you. And they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and he passed by. What a great verse that is. How great is our God? So they pick up stones, and he just walked out right in the middle of them. I don't know if he vaporized or he was ghost-like, but he just walked straight out of the temple. And this is about the third or fourth time that they went to lay hands on them or to kill him because they are not going to lay hands on him until he says it's time to lay hands on me. That's the God that we serve. He is a great God. We have the truth. The world will not understand it unless God opens their eyes, and that's what we pray for. We preach the truth. Some will mock. Some will want to know more. And some will come to the knowledge of truth. We just preach the truth in love. And we'd be uh, liars if we did anything else. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, Father, for the examples of Paul and Jesus himself as they teach us how to lovingly, gently, and boldly present the gospel. And we just praise you for the results in Jesus' name. Amen.